Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can learn everything there from chaos magic to hermeticism to meditation to how to supercharge your finances and take absolute control of your destiny. In short, you get all of the tools you need to turn chaos into beautiful, scintillating order and master your life. It's incredible. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show quite a lot, but check it out. It's growing fast. And I just want to say, if you're confused about where to start, because I have so many courses there, the Adept Initiative is the place to go. The Adept Initiative is the flagship course on magic.me, and it contains everything you need to know to master the most profound ancient techniques of changing your consciousness and the most modern and cutting edge tools and systems for absolutely turning your life into a masterpiece. You are really going to dig it. Go check it out and I will see you in class. It's magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. I was raised by a father who my whole life was like, you know, life is work. It's all it is. You got to you got to toughen up, son. And I'm kind of grateful to a certain degree that I never really took that to heart. I was like, no, there's got to be a better way than just work is life is work, work is everything. Um, and of course, I'm disciplined in certain ways. You know, I, I meditate every day for at least half an hour. I love the bench that you recommended that was amazing for dragon pose um and you know dieting and exercise and but um you know some i'm i do not know when to push and when to allow and um sometimes a lot of the magical practices seems like a lot of pushing and um i sometimes i feel like more of a fool than a magician if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and uh, some of the more sort of like faith-based uh, concepts and teachings are starting to resonate with me a little bit more. And um, yeah, also, you know, I don't, I've noticed that some teachers I really resonate with have like love as like a foundation, love and compassion as a foundation to your teachings. And I haven't heard you speak about it much in the Adept Initiative. And so I kind of like slowed down my progress um, when it got to the black mirror, white mirror part with the journaling. I haven't done that part yet. Um, and I don't know. I was just wondering if you could sort of speak on that other p potential paths of spirituality or I don't know. Yeah. So in general, a lot of confusion arises when you compare different spiritual teachings, right? There's a, there's a lot to talk about in your, in your question, which is really good and is something that we all kind of face, right? So, um, different spiritual teachers will say different things and it doesn't necessarily mean that they disagree. It generally tends to mean that they are just focusing on different things at a time. And so, you know, there's the classic, you know, the classic story of the blind men and the elephant where they're all, I'm sure you've, you've heard this one. It's a very common story where there's a bunch of blind men, you know, feeling an elephant and they all say it's something different. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the deal with spirituality. And that's why, by the way, Kabbalah is so critically important, not because it's the be all end all dispensation in some type of you know, religious monotheist way, but because it's a diagram that allows you to connect all those things. Example. Um, so you'll go to, you'll go to some teachers or pick up some teachings that are all about love and compassion and everything that you're talking about. Right. And being in your heart and being a good person and heart centered and Christ consciousness and all that. Well, okay. That's to right? That's the center of the tree. Yes. That's a critical part of the path, but 
if you take the Kabbalistic plan, it's only one of 10 spheres and uh, 32 paths ultimately, right? If you include the tarot paths, as you did when you mentioned the fool and the, and the magician, right? Which is a cl perfect case in point here. You said sometimes you feel like the fool, sometimes you feel like the magician. Well, you're both. And sometimes you need one and sometimes you need the other. But the point is not to hammer on one. The point is to be the whole thing. So another case in point, you'll go to some teachers like Buddhist teachers, for instance, and they will be talking about the void and emptiness and how everything is uh, empty of inherent meaning. Well, what are they talking about? I mean, if you look at, look at it from the Kabbalah, they're talking about the Ein Sof, right? Beyond Kether, the emptiness, the void, right? Then you go to Hindu teachers and they'll talk about the one and all is one. Well, how do you, how do you reconcile that, right? Are they both wrong? Are they both right? Well, maybe there's the, the monist teachers, the, the, the Vedantic teachers are talking about Kether, right? So just because they're positing Kether, the oneness of everything, doesn't mean that all the other spheres don't exist and doesn't mean that the Buddhists are wrong. The Buddhists are just focusing on a different thing, Ein Sof, which is beyond Kether. And it's not even necessarily that one is better than the other, right? They're all looking at the same ground plan, floor plan of reality, perhaps, and choosing to focus on different things. And for me, when I understood that, that, um, that cleared up a lot. And I don't know when I, I actually don't know when I got that. At some point, it just made sense to me, having been through so many of this, so much of this stuff for so many years where I realized, oh, they're, they're all just looking at different parts of the tree. I, my teacher has said all saints, you know, emanate a different type of divinity. Yeah. You almost unique type of divinity. And I like that, but the, there's an aspect of me that, you know, sees this kind of darkness and the need to constantly push. And, um, like, I'm not enough. I need more. I need more. And I'm running out of energy for that. I really, I think, I hope if, and when I find my true will or what, you know, my gifts are, or what resonates with me, it'll be more of a downhill or at least pushing a boulder across an even plane instead of the Sisyphus like thing. But I'm also, um, concerned about crystallizing my ego into like a spiritual ego, or a, um, I think what's been cutting through spiritual materialism, which was a very cold book to me. Um, it, uh, I believe he called it um, egohood, demonic egohood, and uh, sort of selfishness. I don't know. Things I'm concerned about. Right. So in terms of the true will, so, okay, let me go through one bit at a time. because I, It's I a lot. I know. Sorry. Well, but these are, these are all, these are all great questions, right? So, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently. So it's like the need to constantly push, right? Um, is that spirituality or is that capitalism? <laughs> right. It's like, we, we, that is it, that's something we've absorbed from our culture because we've all been, um, you know, raised for, you know, most of us probably have been raised for multiple generations within, um, you know, our families within a capitalist context where we're essentially seen as our, our labor value. Right. And so it makes sense that, um, and of course, uh, capitalism is, as many have pointed out, the child of Protestantism and the Protestant work ethic. And so you have a lot of writers on magic, particularly Aleister Crowley come from an extremely, um, uh, rigid Protestant background. Uh, so I don't think that's a mistake that when you read, or excuse me, I don't, I don't think it's a surprise when you read, for instance, Crowley's writing, his early writing, where it very much reflects his um, exclusive brethren upbringing or Protestant upbringing. And it is like almost punishing, um, uh, punishing attitude towards the self. That's not explicitly Protestant, by the way. Um, it is probably uh, in Christianity a lot, although it's in other religions. It's certainly in Catholicism. If you look at the Jesuits, right, very much, you know, very, very self-punishing. Um, but you look at Crowley's writing later, and when he really starts to talk about the true will, the thing he says, the, the closest analog in Eastern spirituality is, is the Tao and being in flow with the Tao, right, which is the, is the opposite, right? It is not trying. Is not is it basically the I would define being one with the Tao as not being a tryhard, right, and just being as you are. So, but this is very um, 
this is a very confusing and stressful point, particularly for new students, because I think I've talked about this before on calls. Uh, when you go to masters of anything, it, it, it does it with spirituality or, or whatever, martial arts, let's say, you know, let, let's take Bruce Lee as an example I often use. Um, they will tell you, oh, you, you have to, you, you must be effortless. Well, Bruce Lee's saying that you have to be effortless and be one with the Tao after, you know, 20, 30 years of brutal training. It's the same with jazz musicians who just say, oh, you just flow with it. Well, say, you know, great. You had how many decades of classical training? So again, I, I come back to this idea of looking at things as different nodes in one map, as in the Kabbalah. It's like, well, these things are true at different times. In the early grades, yeah, you need to push yourself very, very hard because you have no idea what you're doing. You have a lot to learn. Um, if you're taking the hermetic path, you need to learn hermeticism, Kabbalah, Hebrew. You need to learn yoga. You need to learn the history of the thing. You need to learn all these different uh, code stacks, essentially, uh, and physical rigor, phys physical discipline, the rigor of physical discipline, uh, let alone in addition to the actual learning that you're doing, you have to go through all the ordeals of learning magic. And there, there's a lot. There's the social stigma. There's uh, the changes in your life. There's um, facing things about yourself that you may not, you, you may not feel that you're ready to face. Um, there, there, a lot happens, right? Um, there's the pain of uh, having to let go of and cut off things that actually don't serve you. Uh, that that's not necessarily pleasant. So uh, there's a lot that you have to go through. Um, and there's a lot you have to go through to get to a point where it can be more effortless, where not trying is trying. But even then, uh, it, it can be easy for people to delude themselves and say, well, I just, you know, I'm magical based on the way that I live my life and I don't need to do anything. Well, maybe they've fallen into complacency. How do you say, right? Yeah, you know, I I can't. There's nothing really else that matters to me all that much about uh, other than I don't know, being intangible, lost in God, versus uh, conquering oneself and giving oneself up to God. Uh, to quote, "What Soul of the Desert" by Aleister Crowley. I, I love that poem. How how are those um, different? Um, one feels like uh, dissolving um straight up from the get-go where you're letting go of things and one feels like to me like you're realizing that all these desires that you're creating um don't fulfill you and that you know uh, god's desire or you know the true will is the only path you know and by you know getting all these things that you realize you don't actually want you know and you thought you want at first you realize what you truly want, which is, I don't know, God's will or whatever. Cause I keep, I'm with the, my desires. I'm realizing that a lot of these things aren't what I truly want. And so I don't have a whole lot of motivation for a lot of worldly earthly things. I mean, I own a business and I'm more interested in, you know, talking, to, getting my employees to like communicate better with each other and like talk to them about what they're dealing with instead of like, Oh, I'm just going to do it myself, you know, getting them to help each other and have empathy for each other. And my business is flourishing in a lot of ways, but there's also the balance of that drive to get parts out and do all this, you know, do the work, right? What is your and, business? Uh, we manufacture custom wire rope. It's a family business, a biology degree. It's like not my thing, but it's a great opportunity to learn leadership, cool. which it is. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, being a boss is hard. <laughs> yeah, and I'm and I'm yeah. I'm a fool. I feel more like a fool than like a like you know a pusher. So it's very it's a weird dichotomy, it really is. Well, well this is I, I mean this is something that I'm I'm having to learn as well. I mean it's it's like it, it's interesting. It's like when you get to a point in your life where you're in a leadership position, um, all of a sudden you have to stop doing everything yourself. And I, I'm so used to for so many years just like okay I'll I'll, I'll do it myself. And that becomes, um, I you know what what can be. Again, it comes back to the seeing things as a process and, and different at different times in your life. Um, you know, what can be a real boon to you earlier in your life, which is 
being so bullheaded that you decide that you'll do everything yourself, that can really free you. But ultimately, it becomes a blockage because one person can only do so much and you, you have to let go to other people to do things. You know, you have to lead other people to do things, right, at a certain point. Otherwise, you can go no further. It's really tough. Yeah, and it opens, it allows you to do more of higher level things that you need to be doing when you allow someone else to take the reins for other things that are trying to fall off your back, but you won't let them, right? Totally. Yeah, and easier said than done because sometimes people don't do a very good job, you know? <laughs> my, my mom is the controller. She's very good at it. And she will go through QuickBooks and all these things, be like, look, you have to look at all these charts all the time. Every day, you have to be really interested in all this information. I'm like, I'm not going to make any decisions based upon this information. So why do I need to look on it? Biz orders are coming in. We're getting good quotes for these orders. And I need to focus on my people and the processes. So, but like, I think there's a balance there. You know, I'm just... And I wonder if how much I'm railing against my dad's, you know thing about life is work and how I can kind of heal that part of me. Well, that would be a know. different, that would be a different, a deeper question, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying, I don't know. I'm so, looking. well, let me ask you this. Is it, is it, um, is it, is the part that makes you, is it, is it that life, is it seeing life through the lens of work that is the issue or the type of work that it was meant? It, it feels like I have a broken wing. It feels like when I push, um, like I have a pulled muscle or something. And naturally, if you're lifting weights and you have a pulled muscle, you stop pushing. And I keep kind of running into that. So I'm trying to do some more easier things. I'm not, and I'm, I, there's, I'm, there's things I'm not lazy about at all, but I don't know. Maybe it's some kind of depression. I have no what, idea. What did work mean to your dad? Or what did um, it mean to him? You're gonna have, you're gonna have to work hard. He started the business. He created this thing, right? You're gonna have to work hard every day. So you're still in your and, dad's business then. So yeah. it's still done. Whatever his metaphor for life is, certainly dominates your life then. <sighs> that what's what's important about the business seems to me, and what I'm telling myself is this is gonna help me learn leadership, so I can start a permaculture farm slash community someday and create something that brings resources up from the earth and like uh, sustainably creates its own resources instead of just hammering out parts to keep the system moving. Okay. I would like to give, be of service to the whole ecosystem instead of just capitalism. But so, so you would like to be your own person and your current position you feel you, you have framed at least is giving you skills to do that, but ultimately is holding you back perhaps. Yeah. And there's projects that I start and don't finish, you know, that are kind of passion projects, you know, cause the, I don't know, it seems like there's like paper walls and feels like that. If I apply a little bit of pressure, I do break through some things and then it is easier on the other side, but I just don't know if it's a concrete wall or a paper wall. You well, know? Uh, I'm tired of beating my head against the wall. Just so sick of it. When you're beating your head against the wall, are you trying to get to your perm permaculture project or uh, sidetracking? I, I am trying to develop a will, a will to be good enough. To, good enough by whose standards? The, the crazy people who think money equals happiness so, that are constantly influencing me in my life, I think. So, I, so you're, you're fitting yourself to somebody else's standard for what your life should be. Uh, I've, I've given up on it for the most part, but, but there's but still you a have it, But you haven't because you just said that you, you, do, <laughs> you do it consistently. So uh, I feel guilty sometimes. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, look, it, it, in a certain sense, this is this is the position that that all magic dot students are in, right? Which is they're in a position that they feel is not close to. It, they, they would like to be in a life situation that is more in alignment with who they really are, right? And and that's it across the board, whatever the um, specifics are. Right. And so, and there's a lot to, to deal with there. I mean, when we talk about, we can use these esoteric terms like the true will, right? Which I think is a good one, but let's put it in plain English for living in late capitalist 2022 Western culture, right? Most of the students are American. Some are not, um, you know, we, we have a lot of ex expectations on us from our society, 
from what we can broadly call capitalism, from family, from all this, um, from peers, from social media. Um, there, there's a lot of um, noise telling us to not be who we are. And that noise can be so loud that sometimes we even forget to, we even forget completely who we are. And that's why meditation is important so that you can calm down long enough to remember and listen. Right. Um, without a discipline, sometimes our life is like our situation that we're in is just so loud that you're never going to be able to reconnect if you don't explicitly make time and space ritual space, if you will, to reconnect to what you already know to be true. Hence this wacky thing, magic and meditation and all of that. But what, what are we really trying to do? Um, we have an image. I, th I think that all of us have an image within ourselves. And sometimes we don't know where it comes from, which is where it becomes something sacred, perhaps, of what we know to be true and what we really want to be doing with our life. Um, and that can be at odds with family, society, friends, everything. <laughs> um, funnily enough, why that is, maybe that's just how it is. I mean, maybe it's that uh, life requires that in order to make you strong enough to actualize your goal. Maybe, I don't know. But um, the, a problem arises. We're all so smart. The issue isn't that we're none of us are not, not we're all intelligent. The issue is not that we're not intelligent enough or strong enough or uh, capable enough to fulfill the dream. Because if you have the burning desire, then you have the means to do it, right? If you apply yourself. So the issue is not that we were not smart enough or good enough. The issue is that we're, we're so smart and so good that we can convince ourselves that other things that we can do, uh, not, uh, either that other things are true or that we can do 17 things at once, right? That's the issue. Um, it's, we're, we're so smart that we can outsmart ourselves. That tends to be the, the blockage for people, right? And it's difficult because, um, our society requires so much of us, um, requires us to be so technically proficient in so many different things just to get through the day. I mean, you, even to talk about QuickBooks, I mean, QuickBooks is a huge skill, Right. But like how many of those skills have you had to deal with, not just as a business owner, you know, a business owner, for God's sake, which is a whole other ratcheted up level of it, but just in in your life, going through school and jobs and things like that, your phone, you know, we're required to become um, uh, cybernetic individuals in so many ways, cybernetic in the true sense, not of merging just with machinery, but merging with all these huge systems outside of ourselves that A, we're just expected to pick up and B, maybe have only existed for like three or four years. Um, and so we live in a loud, a loud time. And it wasn't always like that. We used to live in quiet times where it was just the cycles of nature and farming. Like a permaculture farm. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, and, and I think it's no surprise that so many people have taken an interest in, per, in permaculture or previous iterations of it um, because it's such a perfect metaphor for trying to reconnect with self. Uh, now, it's probably really freaking hard. <laughs> so it's, it's more involved than just reconnecting to a state of nature. I mean, this is what people learned in the 60s. It's like farming is hard. But... Um, um, that aside, I think that what I'm hearing from you in general is basically what I hear, um, from everyone in our society, which is everyone who's feeling and conscious, which is, I have a image for myself of where I would like to be, which is what I feel is close to who I truly am. And that is at odds with where I currently am. And that makes me unhappy. And I can recontextualize my unhappiness by saying that I am training to do that. I'm learning skills that I need to do this other thing in the future, which may be true, but nonetheless, there is a disconnect and, um, that disconnect can be so overwhelming and so, um, infuriating and impossible seeming that people are willing to do things like look into the occult to fix it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm also concerned that if and when I get there, it's just going to be another thing that I realize I didn't want. Um, 
But that, that being aside, I'm wondering if you could just, I, I don't want to take everyone else's time, but I have just one question that I'm curious about. Um, it's, is, do you, in your experience, is there a sort of dark, obsessive, overly controlling aspect of the human condition that can develop into kind of a narcissistic, sociopathic, quote, quote, quote evil it might just be ignorance or something like that. It might not necessarily be bad or it could be a choice someone wants to make if they want to live their life that way. But do you notice a dichotomy like that, that exists in the universe of good and evil, or is that a relative argument? Are you, are you talking about a specific person? I am not talking about it. I'm talking about something I noticed inside myself and inside others. Um, that is selfish in nature. Sure. That is, I, I got to do this only by me. It's only me. I can't trust anyone. I'm scared and I need to fight everything and everyone. Um, that kind of mentality versus the like loving, accepting, faithful kind of Christ consciousness mentality. Well, I go back to just practically speaking, I go back to kind of what I was saying at the beginning, which is um, you're noticing all these things that are different parts of the human condition and, and different parts of the human soul. What is to say that one is good? A, that something is wrong. Um, or that B, these things are not appropriate at different times, right? Because Christ consciousness and being accepting and loving may be very appropriate in certain contexts, contexts, and being completely self-protective may be very appropriate in other contexts. So um, I'm very much of the mindset that all of this stuff exists and all of it is useful in different contexts. And, and I, I don't want to cut off any part of being human because ultimately it's all part of the ride. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But it's, it's maybe it's maybe becoming imbalanced that in any way that could be potentially dangerous or whatever. Well, absolutely. Right. And, and again, this is why I return to something like the Kabbalah, which is if you have a ground plan, then you can understand where things, where things are out of balance and where things can be brought into balance. Um, and uh, where perhaps you're you're overloaded on one side. So you're describing a controlling state, which goes back to what you said at the beginning, which is the fool and the magician, right? So you have too much of the, the magician and not enough the fool. But you can have too much of the fool and not enough of the magician. So the point is to bring them into balance, which is very much the Tao, which is very much the true will. It is coming into harmony and balance, right? But not, and not um, um, being out of balance or cutting anything off, right? And And this is why... You know, you look at Taoist masters are usually drunk and crazy and all of this stuff, you know, it's like, but they're making a point there, which is life is life. As Leibach said, you know, life is life. You don't, it, it don't force it to be something that it's not, uh, or, or go too far in the other direction, which is try to be transcendent. Perhaps. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're living it for a reason. Yeah. I'm slowly re realizing that I think. Um, thanks, Jason. You're welcome. Thanks, everybody, for your time. Appreciate it. Hang in there. Uh, <laughs> I hope you get to your your. Uh, I hope you get to your permaculture. Yeah, I, I do too. I mean, it seems like the steps are happening. It seems like I'm learning things that I need. There's people at work that uh, you know wouldn't were angry, really angry. Wouldn't talk about things. Wouldn't open up about things. And they are starting to, and I'm getting really good at helping them process some of these things. And I think I'm, if I'm going to live in a community with other people, like that's a necessary skill. Otherwise that place is going to be hell. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. That's why I would, I would never do it, but all, <laughs> all power to you. You know, it's like the first time somebody doesn't do their dishes, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why the connection and compassion is uh, crucial. Otherwise yeah. it won't work. Yeah. Well, it's a good time for it. So I, I wish you great luck. Thank you. All right. Hi. Hello. Okay. So yeah, I did touch on some of the things that um, I've got on my mind. I just want to, I, I kind of already know what you're going to say. Um, but at the moment I'm going through like a withdrawal process of from um kratom addiction okay and it's been from just during the covid time really because i've been stuck at home with my family i've taken and a lot of kratom so you have yeah 
I, I just as soon as I started it, I wasn't able to stop. And um, I even just, even though it tastes that bad, I, I capsules. Oh, okay. Yeah, I never did the capsules. It's just like so. It's the worst. Oh God. I, anyways, go ahead. Well, I just you know I, I was at a point where I was just taking mouthfuls um, and being like, hey, 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 you know, just really amazingly talkative at work and found everything really easy. Same with my family, um, and you know, I'm just spending too much money on it, and um, I finally come to the point where. You know, I've had to just deal with it and come off it. Um, so this sort of thing started like four years ago. I lost my mum. It was around about the time I found you, actually, and started, um, you know, um, yes, yeah, started your courses. Um, so, yeah, I've been sort of on and off um, self-medication since then really um you know initially i had like amazing lucid dreams where it was almost um impossible to write everything down and um know what was going on i was waking up within dreams and then still waking up and waking up and you know just never ending kind of waking up process where it felt real other than real um but now what I'm going through is just um, a complete emptiness where I can't feel any of them, like the magic or the mystery. Um, and it's funny because you were mentioning the atheist stuff because I'm, I mean, currently I, I'm, I'm usually very, you know, this, the whole kind of last four years has kind of, uh, made me like I've gone through an existential crisis and I've I just haven't been able to um commit to the atheism thing there's something stopping me and that's what I like but recently um it's kind of just full-on atheist and um a little bit lost and I don't like it at all because when it comes to my kids you know I have to, you know, I have to explain to them what I think, um, you know, will happen or what what will happen to them. Um, they are they're already pretty kind of um, <laughs> downbeat about it, and and um, they're watching that stupid program, um, the Ted Danson one. Um, Cheers. No, the the one where the good place about the the where they go, you know, she's in heaven. Oh, she's actually in hell. It's on what? Netflix. I don't know. It, <laughs> anyway, I only know Cheers, where where everyone knows maybe, her name. It's a it's a trashy show, but um, yeah, they're asking about death all the time. And um, are you talking about they're they're reacting to COVID? Well, no, I mean, COVID is one thing, but I mean, um, they they had a kind of funny reaction to COVID, but they're terrified about me dying. Um, they're very aware of mortality because of my mom. And um, yeah, I'm just a bit upset, really, that I've lost this kind of right, very solid sense of spirituality. And it's now just, just completely gone. Um, and I'm not sh quite sure how to pick it up again. Do you think um, that has some, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's just with the withdrawal process. I feel nauseous all the time. Yeah. I've been taking game for about a year now. So it's, I, I, it's, um, it's not easy to come off at all. And I've been having, I've, I've got support groups that have been helping me. You, you said you've been, you've been withdrawing for a year. Or you were taking no, I've been sort of slowly. I've had this kind of support group helping me um, with you know, sort of lower the doses, okay? But it's kind of bullshit at the end of the day because I'll have a day where I'll just be off oh, this and I'll, yeah, and I'll, yeah. I'm taking all sorts of things really, but um, you know, I've just come to a point where I want to stop it all really and um, start from scratch, but I always feel like I'm starting from scratch. That's the problem. 
you know, I've been I've been following you for years now, and I've 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 had phases where I'm really in the groove, and my creative my my creative work is just like I've got so much. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful to you, basically, for thank you um, freeing a lot of that. You know, just bringing it out of me, and it, and I don't even have to think about it. And that's the kind of thing I like to do. And now it's that kind of thing where um, I'm overthinking things. Um, and my yeah, my brain is just completely blank. And I just feel nauseous and blank. I'm not quite sure where to take it from here. You're probably just going through opiate withdrawal. I mean... Yeah, it, it, go it, easy it, on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, your brain's resetting, right? It's like opiate withdrawal is a big fucking deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, it's. It's not heroin, but it's an opiate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that. Um, I, I I don't think it would be surprising if you felt unenthusiastic about about things. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I'm just wondering if you had any advice about where to pick it up because at the moment meditation feels like shit. Um, yeah. Well, so, so you're, so you're basically on a maintenance dose or you're, you're not cold. Well, turkey. No, no, I've stopped. I've oh, you cold Turkey. How long, yeah. have you, how long have you been stopped? I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been reducing now for the last few months. Um, but I just decided, um, my wife was giving me too much grief about it and giving me these really patronizing YouTube videos with some douchebag talking about it as if, you know, really basic stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> taking about, you know, 10 times what this guy's talking yeah. about. Um, and she, you know, didn't quite realize what I'm going through. Um, how, how long yeah. have you, how long have you been, completely off um only like about 10, 10 days okay yeah that's not very long <laughs> no 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 yeah so, so I, I i would well look i mean it's it's a you, you're going through bio biochemical processes i mean i mean look i mean like let's be honest i mean like life isn't gonna feel as good as it does on opiates there are reason. There's a reason why people like them. Yeah. You know, it's like opiates are the cure for pain. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. So w- when you're off them, it's not like it's going to be butterflies and roses. You know <laughs> I what I mean? I don't know how to readjust reality. It's not, well, I mean, there's a reason why people stay. You know, I I have always found kratom um, awesome for and opiates in general very good for managing emotional pain. Yeah, but it's a slippery slope obviously. And, and my friends, I've had many, um, obviously you can't overdose on Kratom, which is very good, but I've had, I've lost many, um, many friends to heroin overdoses. And what I've observed is, I mean, this is kind of similar, but not really, even though they're both opiates, but, um, with opiates, you're, um, putting yourself in suspended animation rather than processing things mm-hmm. um, kind of, although sometimes I always found it, it actually actually can be somewhat helpful to at least have a momentary period of, of lessening the emotional stress so you can breathe. Yeah. But um, you know, as we know uh, when you're an addicted to opiates, your brain stops producing them. So when you, the reason why it's so difficult to quit them is because um, life is like 10 times more agonizing when you come off it because you're not producing your own natural shit. It's a biochemical deficiency. So, um, you know, particularly with heroin addiction, it's like brutal. I mean, it's like people have described it to me as like, you know, they're sitting there with no skin and they can feel hair growing out of their bones. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've- yeah, I've had it already with um, tramadol. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah. But I mean, I, I when when my mum died, I she had a, a whole care package, and I just um, I tried the lot, and it was liquid morphine, oxycodone, okay. and, and, you know, and I kind of got a taste for it. And obviously, um, 
it wasn't I had it was had a limited supply luckily so I, I was obviously going to run out but um that yeah as soon as I found tramadol I found it was like exactly the same I know it's it's a kind of weak version the same as, as kratom or or well, morphine it, I, the reason I got into kratom is was, was because I heard it was a great way to get off tramadol yeah, it probably is, but it's also a great way to get on Kratom. Yeah, and I didn't realize <laughs> at the time that Kratom would be a fucking nightmare as well. Um, well, this is, I mean, this is the, the opiates merry-go-round, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's I, like, like methadone is a nightmare. Like Swallowing a fly and eating a spider to swallow the fly. Oh, yikes. Yeah. It feels like that. Well, I'll, I'll share... Um, so I'll, I'll share just a few thoughts. One is I wouldn't be hard on yourself cause you're going through, a, a, you're going through an inescapable biochemical process of your brain rebooting. It's like, you know, like I've had, I've had periods of coming off addictions that have, you know, not opiate addictions, but other addictions that have lasted a long time and, and you just have to suffer through it. Uh, and it's not cool. And it's like, it's, it sucks. And, um, there's always the temptation. Well, if I just did a little bit. All of this would go away. Um, I'll say it. Obviously, um, the only thing, the only thing that uh, I don't necessarily think you're in this, in, you're not necessarily in this boat. But I know with heroin, with heroin addicts, uh, often the thing that I've heard is the the one thing that does the trick is um, ibogaine, which you may you may be familiar with. Say again. Ibogaine. Ibogaine. Yeah. No, no, no. Not so, so Ibogaine is an African psychedelic. Uh, okay. Okay. And um, it's kind of in the same boat as ayahuasca, but ayahuasca. it's something totally okay. different. And yeah. it's um, uh, it's not necessarily pleasant, but um, I know the one thing I think Burroughs said as well. It was the only thing that actually helped him quit. Um, yeah. and I've had heroin addict friends who've been able to kick their addiction, yeah. um, with Ibogaine. I also know people in the Navy SEALs who went in and decided they didn't want to kill people anymore. It, it causes a serious life review. And it lasts about 24 hours. I've never done it. So I can't say you can do it in Mexico. Uh, from well, no, I I've, uh, yeah, I've, I know people I'm, I'm in the UK. I know people that can, um, do, you know, shamans that, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I that couldn't do a proper ayahuasca. Yeah, Shame, shamans, for, uh, aka uh, house producers. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm on. <laughs> I'm on antidepressants, so okay. I don't think they're compatible. Unfortunately, I don't um, know. I, I've heard that you can't be on antidepressants if you do ayahuasca. But well, this I, is something I'm else. Very, this is a, this is a totally different uh, plant. But yeah. I, I don't oh, know. Yeah, okay, I'll look. I'll it's look not into ayahuasca. That. Um, the other thing I would say is just to directly answer your question about spiritual practice, I will say this, my, um, observation and experience, I, I am like, have no judgment whatsoever about drugs. I've done a fucking ton of them, <laughs> right? So, uh, someone I met has more than 10, more than the 10 years ago on the statute of limitations, mind you. Um, but there's a reason why there, there's many reasons why people do drugs. One of them is obviously there can be a, a need to escape emotional or physical pain. But one of them also is an attempt at transcendence. It's an attempt to get closer to uh, a godlike feeling or what Freud would call an oceanic or womb-like feeling, things like this. Um, so there's a very valid impulse behind it. Um, the, the problem is the addictive nature and the side effects of the substances themselves, which has nothing to do with morality or ethics and everything to do with chemistry, right? And the quality of what you're getting. So, um, and just whether you can maintain a functional uh, life. So in my experience, um, the world of spirituality in general is filled with recovering addicts, uh, Buddhism in particular, but also the meditation, things like this. And what I realized is um, very a very functional truth, which is one of the reasons why is it's not this Christian thing of oh, like I found I found Jesus and now I'm saved. You know, 
they're looking for a better way to get high. And that that's good in my opinion, <laughs> right? So um, I, th I think all of the reasons to do drugs are largely valid. It is valid to not want to be in pain. Okay, like it, it's valid. Like this whole idea that people have of like, oh, you just have to suffer and like bear your cross. It's like, you know, it's like, it's valid to not want to be in pain of any type. Um, the, it's valid to just want to feel good. It's valid to want to uh, transcend and explore past yourself and, and, and just experiment with yourself. These are all things that we see animals doing in nature all the time. Uh, you know, like one thing that Jen used to point out to me is like all animals in nature look for a way to get high, even stick insects and in stick insects try to get high. So, um, obviously dolphins and monkeys, things like this, the higher, the high, more intelligent they are, the more they try to get fucked up. It's the same with people also, I think. Um, but the best way to move past the chemical dependency is to find something that works better. And in my perspective, in my experience, pranayama is better. And when I say better, um, uh, if you push pranayama to its limit after about, I would say a year of practice, you can generate opiate hits that feel like heroin naturally in your brain. Mm -hmm. Pretty good trick. Yeah. So, uh, and then there's no withdrawal and it's free. Uh, so, um, my, my functional approach to addiction is find something cleaner and better. It's not, oh, like suck it up buttercup or whatever, you know, like people have this, like, yeah. like this punitive approach to it. It's like, well, it, it's just, you know, it's, it's a purely practical matter of like, well, um, you're, what you're doing has side effects that you don't want. So let's try a different approach. And, uh, in my experience, meditation, when you really push meditation, Raja Yoga, also Vipassana, Buddhist and Hindu meditation, Pranayama, Asana, Dharana, or Vipassana, uh, it's better from a pure, from a purely ecstatic standpoint. So that's what I have to say about that. Okay. Brilliant. Well, it all feels like shit at the moment, but, um, yeah, <laughs> place to start. But, well, I mean, I, I, that's probably, you, you know, I mean, you can, you can try and meditate through it, but it's probably going to feel like shit for a while. And it's just how yeah, it is, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. I just wanted to hear you say it, to be honest. Uh, say what? Say, well, hear your thoughts. Oh Yeah. You know, I'm I'm listening to you a lot, and uh, you know, it's all make it all makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, good luck. I mean, look, like I've I've taken a lot of kratom. It's 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 really good for managing emotional pain. Uh, it it fucks up your sleep. It makes for I found it, it every even if I slept on it, I wouldn't be asleep all night like you were saying, and I'd always be exhausted. Uh, and it's an opiate, and you know, there it's. Uh, um, taking drugs has a really negative effect on your relationships and the people around you. Even if, you know, you don't think it does, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, at least it's not heroin. <laughs> but good luck. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Thank you, Jason. You're welcome. All right. All right. Awesome. Uh, good to see you. You too. Um, so I have a one quick, like practical question and then one more bigger question. Um, the quick one is, so for Raja, when you get to Dharana, but prior to that, I've been using like a metronome ticker for my breath counting. Um, is it still like a good idea to use that when you're trying to get that single point of focus? Cause I, sometimes I feel like it's distracting just like hearing the noise maybe when i get better at it it fades out yeah so you're using the metronome for pranayama yeah just to count count the breathing like, okay you know 10 in 20 out very good question which shows me you're actually practicing which is very good so um here's how it goes 
the Raja Yoga should be built step by step. So that means, practically speaking, that you start with asana, and that may take you a year to master. Obviously, you, uh, you're measuring, and you, there's kind of a different measuring device, at least as recommended by, by Crowley. You may come up with your own. I haven't seen others. Uh, well, the classic Hindu ones are mala beads and things like that. But um, um, there are recommended measuring devices at each. So with asana, at least when you start to master it, the measuring device is a bowl of water on your head filled to the brim with surface tension. Okay, so you got to get asana down first. You don't want to do everything all at once. It's too much. It's too much. Asana is is is, is hard. It's a pain in the ass, literally. So you got to get that. You got to get through that. Pranayama, you got to get through too. That's its own process. And when you're doing pranayama, you you are you have to have already mastered asana to do. I mean, you don't have to, but if you're doing it properly, you have to do asana and then pranayama. When you're doing pranayama, you do the counting. By the time you get to dharana. It, the counting doesn't, you should have embedded the sequence deeply enough that you don't need to worry about the specifics of counting. The idea with the yeah. count, the idea with the counting is that, um, it, it forces you not to cheat. Mm. And, and also it gives you a scientific, quote unquote, scientific basis where, um, you, when you put your results in your record, you know, for sure you were doing a certain amount. It, it takes out the margin for error, right? Also, when you're doing, particularly when you get to Kumbhaka, where you're holding in breath for long periods of time, um, there's a very strong impulse to just speed up your counting, particularly when you're mm -hmm. under stress to get out of it. So that that's that's what the um, the ticker corrects for, and it's a uh, a very good a very good addition uh, on Crowley's part, uh, I think. So for Dharana. The counting device, so you, you, you don't need it for Dharana. You know, um, close enough is good enough with Dharana with, if you're doing pranayama, but you may not necessarily be doing pranayama during Dharana. You may just do asana and Dharana, which actually is the classical way to do it, in which case you don't need to, to worry too much about the pranayama. You can do it with pranayama as well, but honestly, I think um, one way you may want to investigate it also is particularly once you've spent like a year on pranayama and you've you've been through all the stages and the purification stages and all of that um it'll take you much less time to get into uh, gnosis or trance or whatever you want to call it so what you may want to consider doing as one approach is asana 10 minutes of pranayama and then dharana in afterwards okay. in, in asana yeah, so I've, I've messed around Cause when I started having like a bit of confusion about where to go, um, from here, I did try just to turn off the timer and just breathe deeply and, and just focus on the point more than, more than the breathing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was, you know, I got a different result, obviously. Um, was it, how, yeah, how was the result different? Um, I just found that I could like, you know, my, the senses were drawn way more finely to that point instead of, you know, with the ticker and then the breathing and, you know, I'm, try not to go too far with like the, uh, the stress from the breathing, but I'm trying not to be too easy just so I can, you know, increase my breathing. Um, so without that and like the intense, like focus on breathing, uh, on was easier to try to, to try to lock in just without the ticker and everything else. Got it. Um, how long even, how long have you been practicing for? Um, since, so I actually, I did your, um, Adept initiative around this time last year. And I was like, you know, freshly sober and wild and didn't, didn't finish. Uh, so now I started this time around at the end of October and have been taking it a lot more seriously. So since about then. Great. So, so you're, you're new because so it's yeah. October to how many, that's four months or so, something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't like, I honestly, like I wouldn't worry about it too much you need probably like nine months at least at each stage. Okay. I would say, uh, depending on, um, depending on frankly, how athletic you are naturally. So if gotcha. you, if you are an athlete, it's going to be easier for you because it's quite physically strenuous. But that said, I mean, like, look, I've talked to, uh, uh, like I have a friend who was in seal team seven and he couldn't take, uh, he couldn't take, uh, asana. It was too much for him. And it, like the workouts that those guys do, or I've read them, they're, they're insane. So, 
Um, you know, so, uh, it just takes time. It, it's very doable. It just takes time and slow, persistent effort because you're, yeah. you're, you're forcing your body to do something new that it doesn't naturally want to do. Ironically, sitting still is not natural for your body, right? So, uh, it actually is your body just, just doesn't want to do it. So, uh, just take your time at each stage and don't try to, don't try to rush into combining things to spend your time on each part to get it right before going on to the next bit that will, cause each one, I mean, look like in a sense, each one contains the other, right? Asana contains essentially pranayama because you have to modulate your breathing. You're not doing alternate nostril breathing, but you have to modulate your breathing in order to get through it. Uh, it also contains dharana because you have to focus on holding the posture uh, and not drifting, particularly in Gaudasana where your knees will drift apart. It contains dhyana because it, it's single pointed focus on one goal, right? Pranayama contains asana, obviously it contains pranayama. It also contains dharana because you're single and dhyana because you're single handedly, single pointedly focusing on the task and the same with, with dharana. So um, each practice contains the others, but they're honed at higher degrees at each stage. Um, so very similar to magic. So, um, just take your, t take your time with it. It's not a race and slow and yeah. steady, slow and steady efforts are much, you don't want, this is not something you want to rush with. Of all the things in magic, yoga is the one to take your time with. There are parts where you begin to understand your own capacity, where you do want to push yourself, but even then the key, name of the game is slow, slow, persistent efforts, right? Because let's just let me just ask you this i mean like what's better you know 18 months of slow persistent effort little bits at a time even 15 minutes a day um of of you know you know and when by the way with pranayama when you're increasing your breathing you might only increase it one second on each side at a time you don't jump from each stage you know, you can, you can go up a few seconds at a time. You can blend in between them. So what's better 18 months of slow, persistent effort to get to your goal or six months or even three months where you're pushing yourself like crazy. And then you, you kind of blow out and you don't want to do it anymore. And then you don't pick it up again for seven years. Yeah. So Probably, yeah, the 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyways, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Um, and then if you don't mind, I had like a bigger mm -hmm. sort of true, true will question. Sure. So in, in the adept, uh, I think it's in the second or first week or something, but there's, you know, uh, you advise to like sit down and really just kind of focus on not quite doing the Raja, but just meditating on, on your true will and like see what comes to mind or journal about it. Um, and both last time and this time, slightly different, but they were both the things that just kept coming to me were like artistic pursuits. Um, which is like, I, I, it confuses me because I've always been very interested in that stuff, but, um, never really pursued any of it and was sort of, uh, culturally driven by my surroundings away from stuff like that. Um, and also I tell people this, like being, being an addict and stuff, like my entire formative years were filled with, you know, getting high. And so I didn't, you know, there was no other kind of drive other than that, just the addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have to play like catch up with that almost. Um, but so it's scary to think of like that my true will is this thing that I never have really gotten to practice on that I really like. Um, but it's like a scary jumping off point in something that I'm not really that familiar with. Um, and that's been sort of, you know, like, no, don't do that. It's a bad idea. You, you know, no money in that and all those kind of, you know, tropes. But so I, am I like, I, I'm just, I wonder if I'm tricking myself into just what I want to do, or if it is actually part of my true will that's coming up. No, you're not tricking yourself. What, what were you addicted to, by the way, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, just, you know, the, the two basics, alcohol and a lot of weed and then, you know, whatever else I could throw on top of there. Okay. But you weren't, were you actually addicted to other substances besides those, those two? No, I wouldn't okay. say so. No. Okay. It's always good to clarify because, you know, yeah. addiction is a pretty broad range of potential substances. Um, uh, look, you're super young. I wouldn't worry about it. Lots of people, including myself, do a shit ton of drugs in their early, 
early years. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't worry about it, but, uh, I would certainly be, you know, your, your impulse to get clean and get serious with your life is, is good because it does become the longer that goes on, the more of a serious problem it does become. Right. So, and, and I think you correctly diagnose, it's like the problem is not a moral problem. It's the problem of lost time and wasted potential. Yeah, which hurt, which which hurts, right? It hurts in a really deep way. So, but the pain is good because it's telling it's your higher self telling you, you know, th that it's not in alignment, right? It's like a lot of times people want the true will to be roses and everything, but a lot of time the true will manifests as just utter pain, right? But it's it's good because it, it's telling much like asana because it's like it's your it's your conscience or your 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 soul telling you it's like this is not the way you know often this is not the way turns out to be way more important than this is often sometimes than this is the way and um and uh, there are many times in life when doors are closed for us and it feels unbelievably unfair and vicious and then we look back and we say you know oh i'm glad i didn't do that or you know um, you know, when, when behavioral patterns be, become to manifest to us as at all times in life, I've been going through some of this recently, you know, it's like when we begin to see behavioral patterns that are, um, fucked, right. Uh, in particularly in relation with what, what we're trying to do in our life and are totally self-destructive and counterproductive, then we have to listen to that. Right. So, um, in terms of uh, yes, I mean, in terms of art and the true will, I mean, the, you, you are not unique in that at all. I mean, this is very common to Magic.me students. Ve unbelievably common. You know, it's like the, the drive for art and creation in a society that does not reward it outside of potentially the NFTs, a new, a new thing is happening, right? You know, it's, it's an interesting opportunity to jump on. Uh, and you know, obviously we're, we're, we're doing that with magic.me students and just testing the waters and seeing how this crazy new world works. Um, and so that's kind of an interesting development, but this is very common among, this is one of the reasons that artists are attracted to magic one, because they see it as a way to, um, Basically, it just fulfills all of their needs in a certain way. So, um, and the, this is the path of the artist, right? Is to make the creative vision strong enough uh, and the will strong enough that the art, art is a war in a sense. It's like that it, you, that it happens because everything's against you as an artist, right? And it's, it's everything's against you in our society. So, um, yeah, you need to, that's, that's very common and, and definitely something to listen to. Yeah. And I did, a I like an I Ching throw on it and it was, you know, along the lines of like, oh, keep persisting, keep persisting at this, you know? So there, there's that there as well. You, there you have it. Persistence is all one of my favorite quotes about magic from Dion fortune or things from the golden dawn. Actually, persistence is all, uh, that 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 says it all in a way. I mean, that that's true at every level of not only magic but everything. And I actually quote that. At the, I, I I quote that if you remember at the end of Adapt Initiative. Uh, I haven't finished yet. Oh, oh okay. Well, slight spoiler alert. But no, um, that's right. <laughs> yeah, there's persistence is all is is quoted from the Golden Dawn. Uh, it, nothing else takes the place of persistence. Not talent, skill, good looks, uh, money like where you were born, who your parents were, nothing, you know, all it is is persistence and you, and, and the number of people in this world that give up is basically the majority. And sometimes, you know, Crowley's magical model motto was perturabo. I will endure until the end. Sometimes magic just consists of persisting uh, past, you know, cause everything changes in the world, but the true will is the thing that you, you know, you'd never let go of. You just keep doing it no matter what. Yeah. And it's been like, um, you know, it's a scary thing to get into because it's just so different from, you know, what I've been raised to do and kind of what I thought I wanted to do and all these things. Um, but you know, when I, like I, I got an opportunity to like get into art classes and, you know, someone with music and just all these things have like come up over the past, you know, just since I started doing this again, 
And I feel like it's silly to ignore those kind of things as well. So it's, you know, it's like, it's like reaffirming or like reassuring me that I'm not, you know, tricking myself or, or being crazy or something like that. Not at all. I mean, this is, and this is the whole key of, you know, it's interesting. I was, um, and by the way, you're lucky. You're very young. I mean, there's lots of people who, lots, lots, tons of people who, particularly with art, who come to the place that you're at when they're 55, when they're 60, when they're, they've gone through a corporate career, when their kids are out of the house or like finally, you know, but then two thirds of their life potentially is gone or, or less. So, uh, but it's interesting. I've been reading, I was, I just did a, I've been reading, or I did read this book, Alistair Crowley in England, uh, Tobias Churton's fifth biography of Crowley. And I just did a podcast with him, which will be coming out in a few days. And there's something interesting there. There's reproduced in the book, uh, Crowley's letters to Parsons, Jack Parsons. And he's just unbelievably frustrated with Parsons. Who's just very immature and off the walls, off the walls with drugs and bad behavior and, um, not keeping it together. And he has this very telling comment to Parsons where he says, you know, the problem with you is you have this idea and it says it all. He says that the problem with you is that to Parsons that you think you have this idea, like, you're going to become rich and famous and successful and then you can do the work. It's like, it's totally nonsense. What you need to understand, like this is just, it's, it's true. What you need to understand, it's like, it's if, if, if the work is to be done, if it needs to be done, then you start where you are and you don't worry about external resources. You don't worry about the world coming around. That's how will is manifested. You just do it and you don't worry about, and if it is, meant to be, if it is your true will, then everything you need will arrive at the time that you need it. And it certainly won't be all at once. It might take decades, right? So, um, but this is like karma yoga in India. You do what needs to be done without concern of reward. You just do it because it has to be done, you know? And if there's any good definition of the true will, that's kind of, that's kind of a good one. It's that what must be done no matter, it doesn't matter what the reward is. Right. And this is obviously with artists, the difference between a true artist and somebody who's just, you know, um, what's a good example, like uh, Damien Hurst or somebody like that, who's just creating commodities. And there's a lot of artists like that, right. Uh, Who's just doing it for the success and the money. Um, Some people are very successful at that, but they're not really artists. They're more like commodities, commodities traders. So uh, it's a different job. And if they're good at it, great. If that's what they're meant to do, great. But it's it's d- different than true art, I think. Um, so you just you just start and you do it, and you don't worry about not having resources or the world coming around. Things come around when they need to. That's that's will. That is magical will. You just do it. You plant a flag in the ground, and and I didn't. I couldn't get anything done in my life until I understood that. It took me a long time to understand that. As when I first started the Ultraculture blog, um, every, everything had fallen apart. I'd spent my whole life um, trying to become parts of other things, like other people's magical worlds or corporate, you know, companies, things like this. And and uh, I was able to get a lot of power and use a lot of resources to do things like that in the world. But it never worked out in the end because it didn't come from me. I could always be discarded. So uh, finally, until I finally said, you know, like until. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'll do this and I will do it by myself. I don't care if my back's to the wall and nobody's on my side. And honestly, that's pretty much how it's been the entire time. So more or less. So, um, that's, it's like, you know, it's like until you're on death ground until it's just like, you know, I'll do this or be killed by it. I don't care. It just has to be done. That's, that's what it takes. Got it. Well, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Talking to me. You're welcome. Uh, hang in there and good luck with what type of art do you do? Um, so I've just gotten into oil painting and then teaching myself, you know, music on the guitar. Cool. So it's been a ton of fun so far. So. Very cool. Keep at it. Keep at it. Thank you.